Where have y'all been? Who's who's y'all? Them. Where have they been? <laughs> That's how they feel about us. No, it's on us. Sorry, I just wanted to gaslight y'all real quick. Oh, That's all. It's on us. It's gonna turn start. Toxic and just gonna come back and be a toxic ass <laughs> bitch. That's what you that's what you're gonna do. I just wanted to come back how we left. That's all I just want to come back <laughs> abruptly. Welcome to Tea with Queen and Jay. We are two womanist race nerds talking shit over tea, dismantling white supremacist, patriarchal capitalism, one episode at a time. I'm Queen. I'm Jay. And this is Tea with Queen and Jay. It has been a minute. Well, it's been... Been a year and a half. Yes. The the last upload was 2020 what? It has been a year plus since we've been on the main feed. If you fuck with us on the Patreon, then you know that we post episodes on Patreon every month, as long as we're not going through some sort of life-altering family crisis. But there are episodes on the Patreon for you to listen to. If you have not been listening, you can always find us there. We've been there. And here we are, back on the main feed. We wanted to catch y'all up kind of on where we've been, kind of what the plans are for Tea with Queen and Jay. We know that we kind of... Sorry I left you <laughs> without a new beat to step two, step two, step two, step two. Yeah, I don't even want to say left. Whatever had happened, the gaslighting continues, was abrupt, okay? And we leaned into rest. We're back now with a, how you been text? Just out of nowhere. Like, hey, big head. What y'all been doing? What you been <laughs> listening to? What's good? What y'all been out to? What's good? If you are new to Tea with Queen and J podcast, if for some reason this is your first time tapping in, we are one of the OG black feminist podcasts. We are womanist race nerds. That's how we identify. That's who we are. And we've been doing this podcast since 2014. Also, I think what's unique about our podcast in particular is that we've been doing this podcast from the start with no backing. Like we are an OG independent podcast. We were never part of a network. We, you know, have recorded at two different studios for, I would say, what would we do that for like a year each? Yeah, about. For the most part, we have been in comparison to a lot of other podcasts who have the longevity that we have, who have been able to make the cultural impact that we have or whatever. We have been doing this by ourselves. And as community-minded people, we very rarely talk about just doing things by ourselves because we know that there is community. (laughs) By ourselves. By ourselves. I did it alone. Nobody was there with me. We almost, yeah, we we don't really do that. But I've been thinking as I've been thinking kind of about like our podcast and the history of it and how we established ourselves or whatever. We did get it out the fucking mud. (laughs) Out the mud, out the paint. The gutter, we carried this shit on our back. Oh, gosh. Outside, of course, of the community of people that we built, community of podcasters we built, the community of the network of podcasts that we built community around. You know what I'm saying? And in turn, supported them and they supported us. Obviously, the BBB, if you're familiar with us, the Black Baddie Brigade our own kind of informal network of podcasts. Some of us are still podcasting. Others, of course, we've all kind of been in different modes of transition. Been 10 years. So like... Right. So we've all been in different modes of like transition, especially the pandemic impacted all of us in, you know, ways that are like still lingering and still here. And we're all different people now or whatever. So that's who the fuck we are. Allow us to reintroduce ourselves. My name is Queen. And I'm Jay.
It's been so long, we almost forgot to tell them where to find us. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at T with QJ. We're also on Facebook. Facebook, T with Queen and J, and Patreon also. If you search us on Patreon, we are T with Queen and J on Patreon. Where have we been? Should we say, like, what happened? So we ended not on some, like, we need to be off for a year. Like, we literally ended doing our, like, end of the year kind of ending. I didn't do that last episode because I actually caught COVID because, you know, the pandemic. Yeah, that's how uh, it started. It started on some <laughs> pandemic shit. Because even that, I think we typically take a break in like through the holidays and maybe come back in late January, early February or whatever. Yeah. So that was the plan. That's what we had mm-hmm. started. Well, in the beginning we didn't, but that's what we generally what we did. So that was what we thought was going to happen. And um, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think, again, to kind of underscore the fact that we are like independent podcasts, there's also lots of different levels to what it means to be an independent podcast. There are people who consider themselves independent, but still have the support of an independent network. You know what I'm saying? So you're independent-ish. No shade, no shade, no shade, except we did this out the mud. <laughs> okay, that's all. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, no shade to y'all. Like, everyone does this in their own way. So when I think about, like, how our break kind of happened, it had been just the two of us producing a podcast every week. And there were times we didn't take a break. In 2021, we did take some time off. Your dad passed away. And it was just a, a good time to, like, you know, lean into rest a little bit. I think we also kind of grew a different relationship with rest and kind of, like, knowing that. We need to rest more. We were also, again, going through the fucking pandemic. Don't be afraid to rest if you need it kind of vibes. And so I think that also informed how we proceeded in 2022, which was like, I actually am still fucking tired. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I actually yeah. am not ready to come back. And we really wanted to come back in a way that was sustainable. And I think the way that we were working prior to the pandemic, in my head, it's just an unrealistic thing. It was, yeah. And I think it was something that for me personally, I would get burned out from that. And I think that there were times when I had a good balance of managing this and the rest of my life. And I think there were times when I didn't. But I think our goal in this break has been to like lean into what we need in terms of rest and come back in a way that is sustainable for two people who have been doing this very much independent. And I feel very strongly about that. I I, I hear <laughs> it in my ears every time. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I keep trying to do it off the mic. Sorry. I also think it's important for us to like put a pin in the fact that we are different creators than we were pre-pandemic. When you talked about our relationship with rest, these are things we talked about. Mm-hmm. But during the pandemic was when we were like, nah, we, this needs to be praxis. Mm-hmm. Like this mm-hmm. needs to be what the fuck we do. This needs to be, we have to figure out what that looks like. In this work as well. So I think that we are also different creators after that quarantine, after that isolation, after experiencing the losses that we've experienced. Mm -hmm. It was like, Mm -hmm. what now is my relationship to creation? What now is my relationship to this work that we do? Because it's important to us to do this work, but it's also important for us to like be full for ourselves. Janicia on her own, me on my own, then coming together as Team with Queen and Jay, then delivering the content that you all are used to us delivering on a weekly basis. How do we do that and still like sustain ourselves, sustain our, you know, happiness, joy, you know, all of that shit Mm -hmm. was just like, hold up. (laughs) 
you better lay low. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, I really love how you framed, like we have always talked about rest and kind of really exploring what does that look like in practice? And I think as people who work to dismantle white supremacist patriarchal capitalism, as people who work to dismantle all of those isms, like and that how that dismantling starts within yourself, I think that we were dismantling those things within ourselves, but it was happening in real time. You know what I'm saying? So like I am a workaholic for a number of different reasons. And a part of my joy sometimes is in keeping it going and keep it, keep doing whatever I'm doing. Like that's not a thing for me that in moments, depending on the work, there are moments when working is a joy for me and working is rejuvenating to me and, and feeding me and all that stuff or whatever, but also kind of dismantling like some of why that is or dismantling okay so yes that feeds you but you also are still going so then what does rest look like for a nigga like you you know what i'm saying and so i think a lot of these things we've always kind of talked about dismantling these things within ourselves and if again if you are just now meeting t with queen and jay we are womanist race nerd street feminists and so if you're confused about why we're saying white supremacist patriarchal capitalism and not speaking it in the direct lingo in which the OG Bell Hooks has used it is because we're street feminists. You know what I'm saying? We're not academics. Just again, in case... Y'all can't see me, but I roll my eyes. Yeah, that's that's what you want to <laughs> explain, the eye rolling? I just think of that. We did something recent when we were on Stranger Fruit talking about colorism and misogynoir and hip-hop and stuff like that. And I mentioned, I said what we say, right. white supremacist patriarchal capitalism. And someone was like, you mean this? And they quoted... I think the quote is imperialist and they said it in the terms in which Bell Hooks said it. And I'm like, she wasn't fucking quoting Bell Hook. I wasn't saying what she said. I was saying what what I said. The reason why we say it in this order is because it's a thing that we came to. And it's like, yo, all these fucking isms, these are the isms. And so we said it in the order that we were feeling it. Obviously, without Bell Hooks, we don't have the framework. We don't have the foundation to come to that conclusion, to come to that energy, to come to that feeling. So, of course, we honor her as an OG in that respect, as an OG academic. But we say it in the way that we as street feminists, as two black girls from the Bronx exploring these things came to those vibes. And that's where your academic feminists, they're researching niggas like us. So that's where that shit comes from. feel like there was an episode where we literally said it and it was like, yeah, that. It is. Yeah. So I'm just like, you can see all of our theory and see all of that work like coming to fruition and like where we like, you know what? It's this. You can hear it. So I just remember that. So I rolled my eyes like, I've been doing this. You just met me, but I've been doing this. Oh, the internet. (laughs) Sweet internet. (laughs) So yeah, this has been a journey. and, And I think for anybody who works to dismantle these systems, dismantling them within yourself is an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing practice. You know what I'm saying? And so like a part of that is continuously reexamining the ways in which those things show up in us. And I think that the pandemic and, of course, the, our personal losses, Queen's father passing away, our friend Nikita passing away, my sister passed away. For those of you who haven't been following us on the Patreon, she was on the podcast a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Woo. <sighs> How dare she? Anyway. She passed away. And so it's just a lot of reevaluating how we are engaging with life. You know what I'm saying? And how we're putting those things into practice. I give all of that this long explanation because I don't think it was like, oh, we've been doing this thing wrong. I think it was like a journey. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's something that we were bound to come to. You know, something else would have, of course, sparked these thoughts or whatever. But like, 
I never felt like, oh, we were doing it wrong or we were doing too much or whatever. I feel like we established what was like a really good groove for ourselves that fit. For us at that time. Yes, definitely. And I think obviously there's always space for, you know, things that can be improved or whatever, but definitely. Growth. Right. Change. Evolution. All of that shit, you know? So, So yeah, we are popping back in now. Since we did take this kind of happenstance, accidental, restful break that we have, we want to make sure that when we come back, all the things that we weren't able to do before as independent podcasters coming out the mud and doing this like on our own by ourselves (laughs) or whatever and kind of like being as resourceful as we could, we want to make sure that we make the time to establish and work on some of those things on the back end that we hadn't had time to do so that when we come back, it's like, oh, yeah, we have our store up and running. We have like the things that we've been saying that we was finna do. We want to do, but we haven't been able to do. Right. We did want to check in, say what's up, let you know that we have been producing content on the Patreon. When we talked about the Patreon on the podcast before, it was $2 a month. But the key is that it's really whatever you can give. You know what I'm saying? We offer the same content for all patrons. So we have people who donate $100 a month to us because they want us to have it and they want us to be able to continue to do this work and they value what we do. And we have people who give us a dollar a month and Mm -hmm. we're happy to have them there as well. And it's a good thing because we feel like all levels of patrons balance each other out. So we have somebody giving us a dollar a month. We have somebody giving us a hundred dollars a month. Like that really helps to make it accessible for everyone. But I wanted to say that because I think it's people who have been asking, oh, where y'all at when you're coming back? And I appreciate that people want us to come back and, and love our content and are missing us or whatever. But also we've been doing this on the Patreon. It's literally... $12 a year, you know, if you give a dollar a month or whatever, like it's there. If you feel like you're somebody who really misses us and has $12 to spare for the entire year, you know what I'm saying? The cost of two lunches, if you're very frugal, you feel me? So that's where we are at consistently right now. We do an episode a month, so we are definitely there. So what else we've been working on? What have you been doing? Uh, well, my family has expanded. I have a new kitten. So I've been oh. taking care of two cats. That's not where I've been. That's like a recent thing. I just wanted to talk about my mm-hmm. new cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very cute kitty. Very That's cute. like it's only been it's been a month. That is not why I was away. But I just wanted it's to like mention altering. Just wanted to mention Pharaoh, um, the new kitten in the house. But I have been doing a lot of work on McVixen. A lot of YouTube work during the pandemic, I got into YouTube and watching like commentator stuff and video essay stuff. And I'm like, I could do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I started doing that. It's been good. YouTube is a very different medium. I feel like for myself, the way we've podcast has been safer because like if you hate listening to a podcast and then leave a comment, there's a certain level of right. commitment there. Right. That doesn't generally happen. Whereas YouTube, people just randomly find your video and then mm-hmm. watch it and then tell you you're a fat bitch. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's different, but you know, I like it. I enjoy editing video because it's still new and like, Oh, Oh, I'm learning this. I'm learning that. Cause I do like to learn new things. Mm-hmm. It is still like, Oh, this is fun. And then there's no pressure. A lot of people don't know me on YouTube. I'm sure most of the mm-hmm. folks who are watching me on YouTube have come from T Between and J. So it still feels like, oh, nobody's looking at me. Oh, I can do this. I can experiment here. I can make this mistake here. I can do it. It's just like less pressure. So it's been feeling like a lot more. It's not a hobby, right. obviously, mm-hmm. but it's feeling a little more hobby-ish, if that makes any sense. I can't think of another word, but that's not what it is. 
But because there's not so many eyes on it, I'm able to like, hmm, let me try this. Let me try a long video. Let me try a short one. I prefer short, but let me try this. Or let me try more graphics. Or mm-hmm. let me try a voiceover. You know, I could just like do whatever. And as no one is like, you're a horrible. They, they, they have called me a horrible person in a bit. But not because of the edits or the sound. Right. right. Or the, this. the expectation isn't as high, I think, for me there. Because we have been doing this for so long. And I've only been doing YouTube for like a year. That no one is expecting fucking, you know, MTV quality video <laughs> mm-hmm. from me. The pressure is off a little bit for me. So I like it there. I really do like creating content even if we didn't do this podcast and if miss vixen didn't exist i think that i would figure out a way to create content it's just something that has always been something i'd enjoy doing i think i've always wanted a, a media kind of space i don't think i ever took the traditional route because i don't like gatekeepers so the internet i'm gonna say the world wide web who says that the internet <laughs> oh my god <laughs> the internet has kind of because there are still algorithmic gatekeepers and you know shit like that but it appears to be less gatekeeper and you can you know do media in a way that is integral to you and you know all of that shit so i know that i will always be creating media i realized that during the pandemic because we weren't doing this podcast but it was like i need to be creating media someone needs to hear these thoughts someone needs to know how i feel someone needs to know my opinion Someone's going to hear this shit. We know that about you. I'm glad that you learned this about yourself. No, I knew that. I've always known that about myself. It's not enough to just put it in a group chat for me. It's not enough to just tweet it. Especially because I realize I don't particularly care for short format content because it doesn't do enough. You know, we see like we post a little clip of something and everyone's like, that doesn't make sense. And it's like, there's a whole hour long conversation that would give you more context. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to go over there. Right. You want this bite-sized yeah package exactly so tweeting will never be enough for me a facebook status will never be enough for me this you know like i need to do a podcast i need to do a video i need to write a blog so that's what i mean when i say i know that i would always create media in that way because i i don't really like just jumping on and being like "Uh uh-uh because uh uh-uh and then leaving (laughs) like it's just weird to me i don't get it but that's just to be more specific about why I guess the long form content will always be something that I do specifically is what I wanted to say. But like, but you know, my opinion is going to be outside. So and I was like, you know what? I could do this. I'll be talking with Janice all the time anyway. I think I could talk to myself. And, you know, started the channel and it's been going, oh, I like it. It's cute. What have you been working on? What have I been doing? So I'm adjusting to life without my sister, mm-hmm. which is wild and wild traumatic. It's a lot. So I've been doing that. In terms of work and creating, I've worked on season two of Good Words with Kirk Franklin podcast. So that was like a really awesome and challenging experience. So I learned a lot from that. I feel really good about what we put in the world. I've talked about this before, but my favorite, I think some of my favorite interviews were Angelica Ross. I think in terms of like the cultural impact that that had and just like the vibes and the whole thing. I feel like a lot of my soul is in that episode and I feel like really good about having been able to like make that happen. So yeah, so that that took a lot out of me, honestly, that whole experience. So I worked on that. Right now I am producing on Michael Harriet's upcoming pro- project and that is really cool. So I'm excited about that. So I have been, yeah, helping to produce other shows which has been feeding my spirit. So that's been good. We were on Stranger Fruit, 
which I would call it a branch or a new a rebirth of the grapevine of sorts. And so we did an episode of that that won't seem to go away. <laughs> uh, but we had a really, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. We had a really good conversation about colorism. And so those clips have been on our social media. You may have seen them there. The comments continue to pour in and there seems to be no way to mute those on Instagram. Colorism is provocative. It gets the people going. It is provocative and it gets the people going. So like while we did that months ago, it is still every day somebody is telling me that I am not light skinned and not in a position to have the conversation about uh, privilege. So that has been interesting. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to, yes, the harassment of uh, colorism. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, thank you for the... Uh... <laughs> happy to be here. Happy to be here. Happy to do the work. But that's why I mentioned it as if it was something that happened yesterday, because it's like they keep responding to that shit like it happened yesterday. But it is a really good conversation. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes. And that's kind of what I have been doing, producing podcasts, navigating my life. We've still been working on Tea with Queen and Jay behind the scenes, like getting it ready to relaunch in a way that is sustainable to the both of us. Also, Tina Turner passed away. When I found out she passed, I tweeted, Tina Turner died. Don't know. I was like, Tina Turner just gonna die? The fuck? Because it was just like... Right? What? The audacity. (laughs) What? But we did like kind of like a tribute episode um, to her a while back that we wanted to kind of bring back and share with you all. So we're, we're sharing the segment um where we talked the segment of the episode where we talked about tina turner we're sharing that today and it's just a lot of good tidbits we had just watched her documentary which was on hbo max it's called max now whatever called max now so we talk about that documentary it's still available to watch it's still up there so we talk about our takeaways from that and our takeaways from tina turner's life a lot of that documentary is in her own words like that was like she had a really heavy influence on that so I think it's a really good piece of content. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. But you can totally listen to the conversation is about Tina Turner, is about her as a black woman, her cultural impact, her influence. So definitely, well, again, that's going to be on the back end of this episode. So just continue listening for that. But yeah, we just wanted to say what's up. We just wanted to say, hey, big head, we are still working and doing Tea with Queen and Jay. If you cannot wait for us to come back on the main feed, we are on Patreon. It's very easy. I know there's still people who kind of are curious about how Patreon even works, but you can, once you're subscribed to Patreon, you can load our Patreon episodes. It's very easy. You can link them to your Apple Podcasts or however you listen, there's a way to link it so that you don't keep having to go to Patreon to listen to the episodes. That's just, again, for people who are unfamiliar with the platform. But I would encourage you, if you're one of those people who's like, oh, I keep meaning to like hop on their Patreon, to hop on our Patreon and, and you know, check us out. Yeah. And you could have Patreon in app form, too. Like, there's a Patreon app. If right. That would make that easier for you to listen to, too. And you can hop mm-hmm. on easier as well. You can do that, too. So check that out. And then also check out this conversation about Tina Turner. What we're watching, what we're watching, yeah. It's the shows that we're watching when we're sipping tea. Ooh la la la. It's the shit that we're watching with Jay Dot and Queen. Ooh la 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 la. Come on. What we're watching. So 
we watched the Tina Turner documentary called Tina on HBO Max. Yep. If you do not know who Tina Turner is, she's a badass black rock star, yeah. I would say, mm-hmm. right? Who spanned, when did that shit start? In the 50s? I think 60s? the 60s. She spanned mad decades. Like she was in our parents' childhoods <laughs> and our childhoods. Yeah. Which is not common. For people who don't know, Tina Turner's career spanned from the 60s through, I don't know when her last song was. The rest but... of our life. Because she was still even touring and stuff. <laughs> like right. even after yes. her last album, she was still on the road and shit. Facts, 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 facts. So it was a documentary. I think most people in our like older millennials i guess knew of tina turner via what's love got to do with it Mm -hmm. movie or biopic or biopic however you say that (laughs) starring angela bassett (laughs) so yeah but this documentary covered a lot more i think a lot of people in our age group kind of just assumed that we knew everything that there was really to to know know about her her based on this one biopic with not good wigs that hair was questionable (laughs) now that we're looking back which is like why didn't you just get tina turner's hairstylist or something i don't know tina's wigs weren't great either so i don't know they weren't great what you were expecting they weren't no, they weren't great. They weren't great. They but the ones not. in the movie, the ones in the movie. They look similar to the one in the doc because those wigs I don't, were not. I don't think so. Those wigs were not great. Weren't great. I just think the ones in the in the biopic were worse. I just think they were they were not good. But anyway, so that documentary is on HBO and it spanned her life and it showed that I think it showed a lot of us who were not as familiar with her and her work as we thought yeah. that like she was a whole fucking person who had a lot going on outside of what we took away from that film when yeah. we were fucking children or watching it fucking at home on fucking VHS or whatever the fuck? Mm -hmm. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. I didn't realize how much I didn't attach the fact that she was like a dancer, like Mm. serving the moves back when they were serving boring moves. Like back in the 60s, it was my girl. Like they were doing all of that Mm -hmm. boring choreography. Jay could see me, I can't, Mm -hmm. but it was like really like robotic (laughs) and like, for lack of a better word, kind of more respectable and more... Mm-hmm. clean and pristine but you know motown really wanted to push out like the better black image or whatever mm-hmm. and then here was tina like bumping and grinding all over the stage doing pretend fellatio to microphones and wearing the hottest outfits but probably for that time like whoa calm down <laughs> mm-hmm. it is 1960 <laughs> Calm down. So I forgot how much of a, not forgot, I didn't really contextualize how much of a sex symbol Tina probably was in her time. And also like Mm. a all around performer, like not just Mm -hmm. a voice, like probably her performances. Now I understand why Beyonce says all the time, I want to be like Tina. I want to perform like Tina, you know, like whatever, because Mm -hmm. a Tina show looked like, I can Tina review show, looked like a fucking show. Like it wasn't just Mm -hmm. like one lead singer in the front my background singers back there and we do these arm movements and turn left and right and that's it like it was like we're running Mm -hmm. across this fucking stage i'm shaking my ass i'm shaking my hair like this big a big show a big performance like i can see Mm -hmm. yeah i think i just did not connect those pieces from watching the movie from seeing her be a performer um like in the 80s i I did not realize Mm -hmm. that like that's just who she was (laughs) 
mm-hmm. from jump or whatever. Right. So that that perspective jumped out to me more. Like, yo, this this woman was like revolutionary as far as like mm-hmm. a woman in performance, a black woman in performance. There's some like unapologeticness for her to like present in that way. Mm-hmm. Fellatio, like fake fellatio to a mic in the 60s. Seems like a bit much. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it, but I can see that being like a mm-hmm. bit much for that time or whatever. And it makes me think of my mom because my mother wasn't right. really into Tina. And I think that's probably why because mm-hmm. my mom is like a little more respectable in that sense. More of an R&B person, more so than rock because that was mm-hmm. like, that was rock and roll and shit right. like that. So I never really considered that this black person is like doing a different genre. Like you just, black mm-hmm. people back in those days, from in my mind, they're all doing R&B, which is not true. That's not what was happening. Right. <laughs> it's also the way that history is told to us, the way that it's packaged to yeah. us, the way that our stories are told and what projects get like fucking greenlit and shit. So like the narrative that rock belongs to white folks has been like one that's kind of been like pushed to us yeah even if you think about the movie there was some discussion i feel like and i haven't watched that movie in many years but there was some discussion about them as rock and roll icons ike and tina and you know tina later on being like a rock star whatever but it ends up being so muted by the abuse yes that took place you know and so like a lot of us who watch that film a lot of us who are aware of tina turner's history via that film i think what ended up being being stuck with us most culturally was unfortunately Tina Turner's experience as a survivor of domestic abuse yeah you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and so because I, I was watching a documentary and like there's this whole period in the uh, I forget when she left Ike but like late 70s when she is or mid 70s whenever the fuck she's doing she's performing in Vegas and like on her own Mm -hmm. performing hustling like doing her own thing to make sure that she can sustain her bills and take care of her family and shit like that before she becomes the um solo rock star act like in the 80s yeah I'm like where was all of this in the film like where was like this information this this whole period of this person who had to essentially reinvent themselves yeah. as a solo act mm-hmm. and you know sustain themselves like herself on her own you know what i'm saying yeah. like i just feel like that that wasn't that period of like she's out there by herself like doing her own thing after being seen as this couple as this pair yeah for such a long time, I just felt like that was underplayed yeah, or downplayed was. in the film. Because that was kind of, that's a lot for a woman to be doing like by herself at that time. Mm-hmm. She's just trying to book gigs and make sure that she can afford to take care of herself yeah. and performing Vegas. Especially for someone who didn't, according to the doc, what I got, didn't take care of any of the business when it came to Ike and Tina Review. So like mm-hmm. Ike took care of all that stuff. Like, so for her to do that on her own, there was a lot that she had to like figure out, learn, right. like for the first time, even though she was already mm-hmm. a recording artists for how many years you know mm-hmm. i learned how to cover songs and work without a record this was what i learned that's what i left him with knowing that i could always work and that's bottom line for me now if i don't have a record i can always get work because i'm a performer performer first record artist now singer second yeah they should have played that up a little more I didn't realize I know now because of the documentary how difficult it was for her to reinvent herself in that way Mm -hmm. and why she kind of had to 
still bring up Ike when it came to like why they're not Ike and Tina anymore. Like I didn't in my mind, mm. their divorce was public because I live in a time where everyone knows Star's business. Right. So in my right. mind, their divorce was public, so everyone knows their divorce. But that wasn't mm-hmm. the case. And when she tried to re-enter the music business, she had to continuously like say what happened and you know stuff like that. And then that's how the story mm-hmm. kind of came out. I always assumed. It was, and all of this happened in the divorce, and it was a public-ass divorce, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, like, how our media is now, but why would that be happening, I guess, in the, what was that, 70s? 70s, 80s, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, like, you know, I don't know, like, the shade room was <laughs> letting me know. <laughs> so I had to realize that the divorce and all of that was, like, pretty private, and that she kind of just mm-hmm. went on with her life, unbeknownst to the public, about all, you know, all this other stuff, and it didn't come out until she tried to reemerge. I just always thought it was mm-hmm. just like divorce and everybody knew her business, you know? Right. So, yeah. One thing that stuck out to me and kind of like made me feel emotional was... And I think I'm starting to feel this way when I see in any interview what a woman is talking about. Not even talking about. Where she has experienced this type of abuse from a partner. And then mm-hmm. let's say they break up and now they're telling their story and stuff like that. But the way that people always ask them why they didn't let leave. And it's like they did leave. That's why they are mm-hmm. telling their story and able to do the interview. And it's it's like this person did leave. And I think that because for myself, years ago, I remember thinking that leaving was something simple. And I think that people mm-hmm. still think that that's something simple, not knowing that. If that person left and survived, that was probably like the ninth attempt, you know? And it's, it's just, right. I wish people understood how kind of like silly and like redundant that question is. And it kind of like victim blames because mm-hmm. it's like, why didn't you leave? And I just like, I, I did. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, usually it takes a lot to leave. So like when I kept right. seeing her in interviews and people would bring up Ike and it's like, that was like a hundred years ago and you're bringing mm-hmm. up this person or um, the questions of why didn't I leave? And it's like, I divorced that motherfucker years ago. Like, what the, What do you mean? Right. And, she, you know, she would answer the questions because she seemed to be like a good sport as far as media is concerned. But like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. Leave her alone. Yeah. It was really also like, it seemed like she had to be a good sport. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. As a woman in entertainment and a black woman in entertainment, like you didn't want to be perceived as an angry black woman because already what are you even doing here? Especially what are you even doing here by yourself yes you know but like it seemed like someone in her position didn't have much of a choice socially but to just answer those questions as politely as possible and hope that it all goes away but it was upsetting to look back at like she's here to promote a movie mel gibson sitting there whatever and you asking about fucking ike and his fucking arrest Arrest for crack crack. like (laughs) she has it banged with ike for years. years at this point. What yeah. why why are we talking about this in front of fucking Mel Gibson? <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> like, what does this have to do with the movie? What is this what about the movie? Why would I have anything to say about my ex possibly smoking crack? That's not my business. Yeah. I don't know that person anymore. Yeah. That was that was pretty wild style. Also, it made me think about like the way to your point about how media is different, like the way that it's easier, even though we still see it as an uphill battle because it is. But it's easier for a lot of our entertainers now to spin 
like their story yeah of tragedy or whatever the fuck and kind of talk directly to their fans and tell them like what they want them to know or yeah. what the vibe is or where they what they're working on now or whatever the fuck is the turnaround on news is so much quicker, quicker. and you have so much so much more direct access to whoever fucking bangs with you whoever your audience is Mm -hmm. that people still ask ridiculous questions but it's easier to connect with people who are actually supportive of you and want to move past whatever it is that you are like trying to move past you know yeah it also made me think about how we consume that movie and like kind of made her life a joke and a butt of a lot Mm. of jokes and we've all kind of done it well not all of us but a lot of people that i know have done it and then you see how like her abuse became taglines and songs or like ways for people to like i guess looked at as like love like i'm thinking of the alicia key song and she's like it was romanticized yeah yes it was romanticized in ways that's just like what mm-hmm. the fuck yeah it was it was romanticized like like abuse and struggle and like the happy and the sad or whatever like and the sad being torture yeah sad being her torture in that relationship that that's like a part of love and honestly when i think back to some of the scenes in that movie i feel like it was a little bit romanticized in the film itself mm-hmm. and there's a period in the film or a scene in the film where they have a fight before it's time for her to get on stage and when she gets on stage it's like she's still a little bit rattled it yeah. seems mm-hmm. and he like whispers in her ear and then she uh, it's like this moment of silence he whispers in her ear and then she performs but it's it's set like it's this build up that made the performance better yeah. kind of, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word i don't know if you know other people would describe the scene that way but it's kind of like she like the pain is what like fuel right help to fuel yeah. how that they're how dynamic and how how brilliant their work was and shit like that mm-hmm. and he is painted like he's not really painted as a joke in the film until there's a scene in the movie where where ike shows up after tina had been gone for a long time ike shows up at like one of her shows or some shit and he has a gun like if he's gonna kill her or some yeah. shit i don't know you know i was gonna say i don't know like how real that is or whatever but the movie is based on a book so maybe it was in the book maybe Mm -hmm. that's like real life or whatever and as abusive as he was it's it would seem on trend right yeah that's not far-fetched like that could easily happen for sure but yeah so there's that scene in the movie that's really the only and she's like what are you gonna do shoot me or whatever that's the only scene where it's like he looks to be like a joke kind of Mm -hmm. at this point but throughout the movie he's kind of painted as this cool yeah you know this cool dude with an anger problem yeah you know what i'm saying which anger problems are like you know especially at that time not considered a big deal like some dudes have anger problems Mm -hmm. like he went through a lot like you know yada 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 so yeah it's kind of i would say it's kind of romanticized in the film and that combined with like the time and all of that it just for a lot of people made it and you know the culture of us not taking abuse seriously or women seriously or whatever Mm -hmm. just made it like yeah this is this is a type of love this is a type of love that that can exist or that exists for a lot of people yeah or that our parents experienced that you know oh it was just like that back in the day like no the abuse was still abuse not cool not okay Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it was definitely romanticized and it is painful now like when we think about the way that it was used in song 
when we think about the way that it was used in song by an Alicia Keys or by a Beyonce, Beyonce or whatever, yeah. talking about, right. I think Alicia Keys' song was We Can Fight Like I Can Tina. Like, that's, no, we can't. That's not yeah, a thing Alicia, that should be on your we, list of potential relationship uh, options or whatever. Yeah. And also presenting it like a fight. Like, we can fight like I, I can tell yes. as if she was not a Abuse. battered and abused, abused person. And it wasn't, this wasn't yeah. like, yes, this wasn't a thing where, like, oh, we fight sometimes. Like, we both fight sometimes or whatever, which is also not cool. But yeah. that's not what that was. No. And then thinking about the way that Beyonce has said to revere Tina Turner and still, as a grown ass person in her 30s, put in a song, eat, we, the, what, what eat is, the cake anime. <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's so. That's from a scene in the film that is one of abuse. Yes, he's like clearly and abusing her in that scene. Right. Right. Yeah. Her space. You know, disrespecting her agency. Like, and it's played for laughs. And so that film exists, but the way that people have leveraged it and used it for humor. It's mm-hmm. just like, I don't know, it's just, it's just been really disrespectful of Tina's experience as a human, as a person. And and it's interesting to me, Beyonce being the level of star that she is, yes. celebrity that she is yes. or whatever, and like knowing that people don't always see you as human. It's interesting that in that moment, she was kind of doing a similar thing to Tina and not really acknowledging the humanity of this person yeah. that she has been said Same. to have yeah. all of this reverence for mm-hmm, yep, you know what i'm saying yeah. so it's interesting how we all kind of participate in dehumanizing yeah one another or can participate in the dehumanizing of one another yeah because i'll be honest like it wasn't the movie didn't become like a ha 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 joke for me but mm-hmm. i could laugh at some of the jokes that came out of it from like peers and shit mm-hmm. like that and it wasn't until that beyonce line i never liked that alicia key song so i didn't even like right. dwell on the ike and tina part because the whole song mm-hmm. to me was trash but when the beyonce Beyonce song came out and it was like eat the cake anime that's when it like kind of clicked like wait what the fuck are we doing (laughs) like what the fuck are we doing mm-hmm. at these this big age? Because at that time, I'm talking about people who watched Tina Turner movie as like children, you know, stuff like that. So at that time, all of us are adults now, and it was just like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. like maybe at 15 when you don't know any better, but like we are big ass people mm-hmm. writing this in songs, shaking our ass. You know, it was just like, oh, okay, yeah. we we need to get this shit together, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I I don't know, I I know that I was I was and still am just disappointed with that with Beyonce because she says she loves Tina Turner so much and that's Mm -hmm. who she wants to be and that's her idol and you know whatever whatever and to still allow that to slide to me Mm -hmm. does say a lot about the culture of violence between partners abuse between partners Mm -hmm. that we still don't take seriously like you said that we still don't acknowledge as a real thing that we still kind of fought the person who was abused for. Because, like, even with that line, you are... Tina Turner is not the one who was the abuser. But she seems mm-hmm. to be the one we're always talking about when it comes to that situation, when it comes to that dynamic. And it's like, they did not do anything. Mm-hmm. But it's always like a, why didn't you leave? Eat the cake anime joke. I can Tina as, like, this great, amazing time. And that was, like, the worst time of her life for her. Like, she has said mm-hmm. that. 
She does not like going back there. She does not yeah. like reliving it. But even in pop culture, outside of interviews, even in pop culture, we keep bringing that shit up and making it a thing. Mm-hmm. And like, shit, I haven't been married to that person in like, at that time, 30 some years. <laughs> right, right. I also think that a lot of us separated the film from the person. So I think a lot of us saw, oh, that's Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett. Like, that's what happened yeah. in that movie. Yeah. As opposed to like, this is a telling of somebody's life. The torture that somebody yeah. actually experienced in their in their real life. Yeah, true for sure. Another thing that I really enjoyed because the movie really helped me with the timeline of. I mean, not the movie. The documentary really helped me more so with the timeline of her life. For me, in mm-hmm. the movie, it just seemed like she was the same age the whole movie. <laughs> Right. Because it was played by one person and they didn't really do much mm-hmm. to differentiate age. But that's when I realized, wow, this person has been in the business for like two generations, three generations, you know, one. And then that her reemergence, because in the movie they don't specify or like acknowledge that she's like in her late 30s, early 40s when all of this stuff is happening, when she's becoming Tina, mm-hmm. the solo artist. I didn't realize this woman became like the bigger rock star on her own in her 40s. And right. I think it's important that we tell there's always women who are not young, quotations, just, you know, mm-hmm. who are doing amazing things and they're mm-hmm. not talked up enough. They're not talked about enough, especially if you're a black woman. It's just not talked about enough and I feel that this that's another opportunity that they missed in a movie that I think would have been great to know in the 90s mm-hmm. obviously it does make sense but watching the documentary I'm like wow this woman was like in her 40s when she like reemerged as the Tina mm-hmm. that we know more so now the right. rock star now she's on tour going around the world more so than she was when she was with the I Continue Review. Now she's mm-hmm. like this big world known name, not really just like in a pocket of black music in America. Mm-hmm. She's like this worldwide fucking thing and that happened for her in her 40s. And no one, mm-hmm. I just wish that we talked more about people who, because everyone's, no one's life is, and it doesn't to me it doesn't make sense for your life to just pop at 20. Like you're not even right. like, your brain isn't even fully formed. You're not mm-hmm. even like, I would much rather that stuff people happen later in life when they actually know who they are more so. Mm-hmm. So I would love to have and hear more stories like that, especially in the entertainment business, because they want you to be an infant if you're a woman. Right. <laughs> they want right, you to be right, a fucking right. infant. So I, mm-hmm. I do I do like stories when it's like the bad situation is behind them and when they're looking forward, it's just been great as they've gone forward. And I'm not mm-hmm. teaming to her and I don't know how she feels about her whole life she does emphasize like i didn't have a good life i didn't have a happy life so i don't want to romanticize her life if she doesn't even feel that way about it but Mm -hmm. she looked forward and what was forward was like something dynamic and things that she actually wanted and things that actually Mm -hmm. were more towards her happiness and i just like to see like those kind of like stories um i don't want to say triumphant because like she does emphasize that her life wasn't like this happy life you know, so I don't want to just be like, yes, it was, girl. But like, mm-hmm. I guess I like to see stories like that when people get to the other side of the pain and there's less pain on the other side of that or appears to be less pain on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And then also, like I said, because of her age, she's like still was touring in her 60s, like got a Las Vegas residency, like All of this amazing shit that for some reason in the entertainment business, women are not allowed Mm -hmm. to like take up space in that way when they are over 28. (laughs) Right. Facts. 
So yeah, I did. I did facts, really, facts. really, really like that they kind of emphasized and were like, "This person was this age." Because I didn't get that from the movie, so I do like that in the documentary. Mm-hmm. It was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. "Bad bitch, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies." You know, 70s, like seventies. Yeah, 70s. yeah. I yeah. think somebody at the record company that she was signed to as an older person when she was on her own and trying to like be a for real rock star would be acknowledged as a for real rock star yeah there's a an executive quoted as saying you signed that old nigger douchebag because they were they were gonna drop her from the label she had like just been signed and they were gonna drop her or whatever mm-hmm. and so another executive had to like fight for her to be there or whatever but it's interesting because that story is told and like no context is given except for the fact that she was an older black woman older in terms of like the entertainment in- industry yeah but an older black woman kind of restarting her recording career and it just feels like sometimes that's all that it boils down to is that somebody thinks that you're an old nigga douchebag yeah. and that you are undeserving or should not be here simply for that yeah and it could have also been because like why why what what made her a douchebag except for the fact that she was no longer partnered to her abuser like what mm-hmm. what like there's no context given for why someone would say these things about Tina Turner. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially us knowing her life to this extent, I feel like you don't need context for a black woman to call her a douchebag. So that's not what I'm saying, but I just want to say that really quickly. Mm -hmm. But like, it's not like she is a part of those group of entertaining women who were like what they call divas or who were like, you don't need any of that to be as a black woman, but I'm just saying Mm -hmm. it wasn't even Mm -hmm. that that was the type of entertainer she was before. So like, so all she had Mm -hmm. to do was to be a black woman and be her age to be a douchebag. Yeah. 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 So I thought that was really fucking bizarre. Oh, nigga douchebag. Not bizarre, like shocking, but like, what the fuck? What? Yeah. How did that enter the chat? Nigga douchebag. Like, right. The executive realized that she had been dropped. She's one of the artists who had been dropped from the label. And he was like, yo, what the fuck? And this was the response from the other white executive or the more senior mm-hmm. white executive. And so he fought to, the one in her corner kind of fought to keep her mm-hmm. on the label oh, wow. or whatever. And then from there, that's when she had like all of her success in the 80s and shit like that. But that was freaking weird. You know what's ridiculous? What? Behind every black woman, there's an old white man calling them an old nigger douche back like right <laughs> like every 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 successful quotation black woman yeah that would be cute if that wasn't a thing you know what i'm saying <laughs> That would be cute if that wasn't a thing yo i remember going to a, a hr meeting it was supposed to be an hr like touch base with somebody like at a job that i had just kind of in a role that i had just kind of started back when i was like working at places Mm -hmm. and in the meeting i could tell before i got here somebody was calling me an old nigga douchebag like that was the energy the vibe Mm. was you you hit me up because you wanted to like do a touch base and how was everything going or whatever but in the conversation it's clear that no you wanted to tell me off for being an old nigga douchebag and i still don't know why what to this day i don't know what i was doing besides being an old nigga doesn't matter you're an old nigga douchebag yeah that would that would be cute if that wasn't a thing you're not even old (laughs) or douchebag right or nigger right no but but you are not any of those things of course any of it any of it but yeah those were the vibes 
those were the vibes. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was we already know that music was segregated, yeah. but it's kind of the way that it's talked about throughout history is as if it's this like de facto thing that kind of just happened. Like it just happened because, you know, black people only wanted to hear a certain kind of music. It just happened because white folks only wanted to hear a certain kind of music when it was actually dictated by Jim Crow was actually dictated by the way that segregation took place in the u.s Mm -hmm. and how that translated into like what was happening on the radio and who was allowed to be played where and shit like that so i think there's a moment where there's a song that tina does river deep mountain high at the time which is a do well in the u.s Mm -hmm. it's a fucking bop yo Download that shit. River Deep Mountain High. It's fucking dope. But it didn't do well at the time. They're saying that no one wanted to hear it. But basically it was in the US. And Ike explains this in so many words without calling it out. Calling racism out per Mm -hmm. se or whatever. But overseas... If you do a, at the time is what he was saying, if you do a song that is rock, if you do a song that is R&B or whatever, they play it on that station. They put it in that category regardless of the race of the artist or whatever the fuck. And whoever wants to listen to that type of music enjoys that type of music. In the US, it's based on black music, white music or whatever at the time. Yeah. So you have this black artist singing in this style that is not attributed or associated with black folks in the US and they there's no place to put it racially there's no place to put it because nobody wants to hear a black woman singing this way on a white station and nobody wants to hear this kind of music per se on Mm. a black station and so it 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 sounded like it wasn't a matter of people heard it in the u.s and didn't like it it was more a matter of we're not gonna play it Yeah, they didn't even really hear it because racially where is there to put this music that does not fit into the boxes of segregation for us so i thought that that was an interesting breakdown and in the conversation of like it's not just that music is segregated because people don't want to hear different brands different kinds of music it was segregated because of motherfucking segregation it was and segregated white supremacy. at the top it was not like they put it right. into the world yes. and then the world just happened to mm-hmm. only yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's all programming yeah. so i thought it's all the man it's all the man love that conversation yes I loved how we got into the nuances of like her life. You know what I'm saying? I lived for that and it was so much fun to like listen back to how we were talking about Tina and, and that time. And we're fucking brilliant. Like we're brilliant. Like Oh yeah. We're just fucking brilliant. Like I hear us say stuff and I'm like, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Out the mud. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a fun it was a fun episode to listen back to. And I always before we just like put something back for y'all to listen to again i always make sure like is this worth it like are niggas gonna want to like re-listen to some shit they heard before they will i really enjoyed like hearing this tribute um to tina turner especially you know at this time where you know she's transitioned or whatever so shout out to us for being awesome libations to tina turner we wish her well we wish her the best in the afterlife and we send all of our condolences and love to like 
you know, her family and everybody who was impacted directly by her loss. And so cheers, cheers to her and and celebrate her. She was right. What does love have to fucking do with it? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, maybe it does. I don't know. Bell Hook says it does, but Well, it depends on the conversation. It depends <laughs> on the conversation. But uh read All About Love by Bell Hooks and then, you know. Get back to us. Let us know. Thank you so much for tuning in to Tea with Queen and Jay. We will be coming back if you miss us as we work on bringing the podcast back to the main feed. If you miss us, please follow us on Patreon. You can donate any amount that you want to donate and we will be there with a new episode every month. The point of supporting us on Patreon is so that we can continue to do this work. We've kept our social medias active. It's so that we can continue that. It's so that we can prepare to come back in a way that is sustainable for us. And it's very important for us as niggas who have been doing it by themselves for all this time. You know what I'm saying? With, of course, the support of our community. But as people who have been truly independent, we appreciate uh, and, and rely on your support. So thank you for that shit anything else no that's it we did it we did a show we did a show (laughs) did a motherfucking show out the mud by ourselves (laughs) carrying microphones on our back carry it on our back all right peace out y'all okay bye Have you ever gotten a case of the bubble guts when a coworker said, Happy Juneteenth. Hey, there's an Abraham Lincoln cake in the break room to celebrate when Lincoln freed the slaves. Or felt nauseous when you heard this. Hey mom, can you help me with my social studies project? It's about how Harriet Tubman had to give up her seat on the Underground Railroad. Do you ever get a headache in situations like this? And here's another classic tune from the man who invented rock and roll, Elvis Presley. If you've ever experienced one or any of these symptoms when confronted with whitewashed history, you may be suffering from drapedomania, the overwhelming urge to flee caucasity and escape to freedom, commonly known as free Negro derangement syndrome, liberation deficit disorder, or Harriet Tubmanosis. Symptoms of drapedomania include the chronic urge to kneel during the national anthem, a mild to moderate reaction to the phrase, liberty and justice for all, and regularly wishing a new would. Luckily, there's a recommended treatment for this condition. From Othertone and Sony Music Entertainment, introducing Drapedomaniac's Unshackled History, a brand new podcast from board-certified white peopleologist and dean of Black Twitter's history department, Michael Harriet. I'm Michael Harriet. You might know me from the phrase invited to the cookout or as the author of Black AF History. Now, every week I'm going to unwhitewash American history for you. In each episode of Drapetomaniacs, I'll use music, research from black historians, and a slate of celebrity guests to give you a true version of the history you think you know, and we'll uncover a few untold stories you probably never heard of. And don't worry, we won't even ask you for a copay. Before consuming Drapedomaniac's Unshackled History, please note that listening to this podcast while watching Fox News may cause you to throw up in your mouth. Do not take Drapedomaniac's if you've ever messed around without finding out. If you believe third graders are learning critical race theory, Drapedomaniac's may not be for you. Consult your doctor if Drapedomaniac's makes you feel like storming the Capitol building, like the Civil War wasn't about slavery, economic anxiety, a desire to burn your Nikes, insurrectiony, allegiance to the Confederate flag, the need to make America great again, or spell black people with anything other than a capital B. 
Drinktomaniacs is not approved by the Food and Drug Administration. But if you or someone you know is suffering from Drinktomania, free doses are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and from wherever you get your podcasts. Freedom.